This is an ABC podcast. I'm here, deep in the jungle, observing the mating rituals of the modern woman in her natural environment. Okay, let's see what we have today. Through binoculars, I can see the female paying close attention to her phone, swiping as though the very future of the human race depends on her decision. Not the kind of person interested in one-night stands. Oh, wow, he has a, a hat. It's one of those cowboy hats. And he's holding a fish and a bow and arrow. That's a no from me. While there are plenty of potential suitors, finding one who doesn't walk with his knuckles dragging along the ground is... proving surprisingly difficult. Who have we got here? He has a strip of hair going from his bottom lip to the bottom of his chin. No. A vegetarian is fine. Vegans crossing the line. Put more than one photo. Like, seriously, if I have to, why can't you? Left, swipe left. Wait a minute. No, I take it back. Southern Cross tattoo, Brooke. And then, just as the female is about to give up, a glimmer of hope. Look, he's cute. He's got nice lips. He looks professional. Fine. That's a swipe right. Oh, it's a match. Hello. Finally, she has connected with a potential mate. But ahead of her, she still has plenty of work to do. ever spent time on dating apps, you know it can be a jungle out there. But if you're looking for a relationship, pretty much the way to do it these days is on your phone. And look, if you thought that it used to be hard the old-fashioned way, which was like meeting someone somehow and then fluttering your eyelashes at them and making mating calls like, nah, are you single? Or, oh, you're cute. Well, that's nothing, nothing compared to the apps. There's the swiping, the tedious text banter, coming up with winning one-liners, constantly checking to see your match, answering the same boring questions about your family, family. get alone, wondering why do so many single men wear sombrero and hats? Why do so many men think that holding a large fish is sexy? It's a lot. And that's before you even roll your tired ass off the bed and put your going out trackies on to go and meet one of these hotties in person. I'm Yumi Steins, ladies. Oh. We need to talk about digital dating despair. So it's official. A Stanford University study has found that more people meet their partners on a dating app than through friends or work combined. And the pandemic has pushed us even deeper into this world of searching for love or lust online rather than down at the pub. Apps like Tinder, Bumble and Hinge have all reported big jumps in traffic since COVID, which makes sense since none of us can go out and actually meet new people, let alone grind up on them. I think it's hard to meet people organically. 
I think that the apps do give you a much wider range of people to meet with that you wouldn't normally come across. After her marriage ended, writer Kerry Sackville wrote a book called Out There, a survival guide for dating in midlife about her misadventures in dating after divorce. I met my husband when I was 17 and at uni. Not only had I not experienced apps, I hadn't actually been on a date. It was like post-divorce Kerry had been freshly hatched out of an egg. I came out of my marriage having never been on, I guess, a proper blind first date and then dealing with this technology. And it was both absolutely terrifying and incredibly exciting at the same time. Finding herself in a new environment, Kerry adapted. On a whim, I loaded Tinder onto my phone. The whole process took about two minutes and suddenly I found myself swiping and there were all these men and all these faces and it, and it became incredibly addictive. And I think for about three days I didn't sleep, I didn't eat, I just sat on my bed, you know, swiping through these men. I swiped until I couldn't swipe anymore. <laughs> Kerry, what are you actually looking for when you go on a dating app? For the moment, my end game is really pretty simple. I would like ideally, to have someone who I enjoy spending time with, who's good company, that I can see a couple of times a week. I have no interest in getting married again. I went on a date with this guy and we were having a great time. Hannah is 32 and would ultimately like to have a partner. In her search, she's been using dating apps on and off for a few years. She's only young but has some battle scars. We were talking, sharing stories and, you know, joking around and it got to the point where we were kissing in an alleyway in Newtown and he was like, come home with me, you know, like I would love to sleep with you and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to go home with you tonight. Maybe another time but just not tonight. And he would relentlessly asked me to come home with him, come on, please, please. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to, no, no, no. Got to the point where he curled up in the fetal position on the floor and pretended to cry while wailing at the top of his lungs. She thinks I'm ugly. She thinks I'm ugly. And um, <laughs> it was so... I was so befuddled and shocked. I just didn't know how to react. And what did you do? I think I did the typical female thing where you try to placate them and make them feel better. So I was like, no, of course I want to sleep with you, just not tonight, you know. I wish I'd just walked away and been like, see you, buddy. Have fun <laughs> crying on the floor. But, you know, I didn't do that. I didn't. I tried to ease his pain. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And did you ever end up sleeping with that guy? No, definitely not. I feel really just disheartened by the whole dating experience since I've been doing it. Even though she's pretty fed up with dating apps, part of Hannah feels compelled to keep going because it's just what you have to do to meet someone. I noticed that in the years prior to dating apps, it was like you'd go out, you'd have a few drinks with your friends and, you know, if you'd hook up with somebody and then the next week you'd go out and you might hook up with that same person again. And if you hooked up with that person enough times, eventually they'd end up as your boyfriend. But then dating apps came along and all of a sudden there were so many people that were at your fingertips. What Hannah's describing, this cornucopia of people available at a swipe, might seem awesome. So many delicious, tasty options. 
But for Hannah, that variety is too much. It is so much work, Yumi. My friend told me to treat it like a job. She told me, Hannah, you need to treat this like you're looking for your dream job. Go out with as many people as you possibly can, be on every app that you possibly can. And it was so emotionally exhausting and also just physically exhausting as well because you're trying to maintain all these conversations with different people and you're trying to be interesting, funny, smart, quirky or whatever to interest all these different people. It expends all of your energy. Yeah, it was a full-time job. My PhD is in dating apps, Bumble and Tinder in particular, and the impacts that they sort of have in terms of intimacy. A lot of people are at the bar and they're on their dating app at the same time to see who's there. So people aren't, they've shifted the way they're doing dating. This is Lisa Portland. She's from Western Sydney University. In her PhD research, she's talked to a lot of people who use dating apps. So you might be in a bar full of people, but you're not looking at them. You're looking down at your phone. Dating apps are designed to mess with your brain. You can never do Tinder per se. You do start seeing repeats, but you can always widen the kilometres or, or whatever it might be to, to see to see more cards within a stack. When I say cards within a stack, that's all part of the, the, the game theory that's applied to things like dating apps. Lisa's research found that despite their hookup image, most people on dating apps are in fact looking for a relationship. But what they end up getting is a long-term relationship with, well, with the last thing they expected. So they have this real love-hate relationship with the dating app itself and then they'll go on and delete it and return at some point in time because they're very conscious of the fact that if they're not on the dating app, then they're shutting off this complete possibility of meeting all of these people. The thing to try to remember, and it'll do your head in, is that dating apps aren't built to succeed because if you successfully partner up, you won't need to keep using the app. The CEO of Tinder often talks about how your most significant relationship is going to be with Tinder itself, which is quite a shocking kind of idea. But people do cycle through dating apps and sometimes they cycle through them not just because they've met a significant other, but also because they're just unhappy with what's going on in the dating app itself. And so they need to take a break and then they need to come back. So what does make people want to delete the apps? So what we, we see happening on dating apps is that people will set up multiple different accounts and they are talking to a lot of people at the same time and their conversations are very surface level. They are quickly becoming bored and they are, end up deleting the dating app. And what draws them back in? But the thing that draws people back in is that there's so few people that are actually meeting in an IRL environment. You don't go into the online space. It's kind of like chopping off your nose to spite your face. I want you to meet Frankie. I'm 27-year-old confused uh, comedian who is so tired most of the time. Uh, I'm a little gender fluid being so I use she they pronouns and um, 
I have fake red hair, if that paints a picture. For Frankie, the lure and the addictiveness of dating apps can be even more powerful when they're feeling vulnerable. If I'm honest, I kind of download them when I'm feeling bored or lonely uh, because I just want that sweet, sweet shot of like serotonin. And I think I kind of go on like thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I'll like strike up a nice conversation with someone. And it's just it's never that for me, which is I don't know. I don't know why I download them. (laughs) I know it's not for me. I know it's not for me, but I do it anyway. When I'm downloading them, when I'm kind of in that really tired or like lonely state, what I'm craving is intimacy. And that is not something I'm going to get on those at all. So <laughs> you, you're tired and you, you don't get a lot out of these apps. Why do you keep coming back to them after you've deleted them? Because we're in a lockdown, because I don't drink. So I'm not just like kind of tipsy and flirty at bars. I... I don't know. I just, and it also because I think that there is now this kind of societal thing of like, this is how you meet people. Has the pandemic raised the stakes around casual partnering? I think for me, it definitely made me realize that like, I do want a partner. And then also just like being the seventh wheel on a Zoom trivia for like the third time in a row, it just makes you be like, yeah, i oh God, I wish I had a partner right now. Like going through a lockdown single, anyone who's done it deserves a medal. While the Zoom trivia was a chance for Frankie to connect, it made them more isolated in a way, staring into a screen full of loved up couples. Like a sea of people wearing cowboy hats in an every single tile, there is just these two lovebirds and then there's just on the end this... <laughs> idiot sitting in their room by themselves and she's just smiling and waving at everyone and just like I'm not saying it but counting how many couples I'm with and I'm like all right you are seven sick 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 (laughs) I guess and knowing that when everyone closes the zoom call they go they have each other to turn to and you're just you just shut your laptop and that's it that's my night done, baby. <laughs> it's so depressing. Despite their wariness, when they do download the apps, Frankie still gets lost in a world of swiping. And swiping. And swiping. Time disappears when I'm on those apps. I think they're like super addictive for me as well. Like I'll be like, all right, I'm going to spend five minutes swiping. And then I'm like, it's 4pm. What happened to the day? What Frankie's really wanting and really looking for is tough to find through a phone. When you meet someone organically, there is that spark, there is that something that has just kind of come out of nowhere. And I feel like that's what these apps take away from me is that I'm meeting up with someone and even if there isn't the spark, I'm just stuck there for 45 minutes having a coffee, which... It's still nice to get to know someone, but it just feels so, um, it feels so forced. While dating apps simply cannot recreate the Hollywood meet-cute fantasy of how couples get together, nor even the David Attenborough out-in-the-wild instant rapport of two horny animals discovering they have that undeniable chemistry, people are still using the apps to search for just that. People fundamentally object to the premeditated and strategic nature of dating apps. 
Researcher Lisa Portland again. They want to meet someone who they've met organically within a face-to-face environment. I think that users uh, really struggle to cast aside the, the romantic fantasy and they very much bought into a lot of these relationship narratives around love needing to be organic. And so they find it really tricky on the dating apps because dating apps are, are the complete opposite. You would not think that at my age I would get dick pics and you would be wrong. <laughs> it astonishes me. In order to prove their virility, some of the less evolved males will send potential mates photographs of their penises. While said penis is on its way to becoming what's known in Australian parlance as the full mongrel. I cannot tell you how many dick pics I have had sent to me via Instagram, private messages, via LinkedIn, (laughs) via Facebook Messenger. And it's so interesting. I think there are men who send dick pics really just to disturb you and kind of to, to unsettle you and, and it's a bit, bit weaponised and it's it's a form of abuse. But there are men who have connected with me via LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever and chatted to me and I can tell they're flirting, they want to ask me out and they send me a dick pic and I think they genuinely think that I'll look at that and say, wow, that is such a beautiful penis, I must get to know that man. Needless to say, that approach has never worked on a straight woman in the history of half and full mongrels. Another thing that happens in the wilds of the apps is catfishing. It's when someone pretends to be someone they're not. The most recent catfish I had was somebody who was like a pretty normal looking guy. This is Carly. She's 39 and has been using dating apps on and off for seven years. Despite being pretty savvy, she's still found herself duped by guys she's met online. This person was like, yep, I'm a mechanic, I'm, I'm co-share a, a shed with somebody and blah, blah, blah. Like had a full, like, full storyline and chatted to me like throughout the day for like three days and was normal, like just a normal person down to I've got two different dogs These are their names, these are their breeds, like really specific lies. Carly and this mechanic arranged to meet up, but on the day of their date, Carly's messages and phone calls went unanswered. Yep, she'd been catfished. It was just crazy because I'm like, why would you go to the extent of doing that, like having conversations with somebody? And it was disappointing because this person was actually really intriguing and like, you know, they were like a normal person. We had good banter. They were obviously a, a... someone I could probably like get along with, but they weren't obviously the person that they were saying they were in whatever, you know, their profile or behind the picture. Like they were obviously somebody different. Being catfished, sent dick pics, getting ghosted or receiving inappropriate comments happens all the time. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. That's true for Hannah, who says the dating apps have dented her confidence. I felt like I was being judged instantly by, you know, hundreds of men. And on Hinge, for example, I wasn't getting any matches whatsoever with anyone. And it made me so upset. I was like, am I the ugliest person on the planet? Why is nobody matching with me? I'm liking all these guys and nobody's liking me back. Am I hideous? And it would just make me so sad. So how do you separate your online self from your real self? 
it's hard because you feel like, I think at the end of the day, you I ended up feeling like I was never enough for somebody. Mm. So if they ghosted me or if, you know, we just mutually just stopped seeing each other, I would end up crying and feeling extremely depressed because I was like, what's wrong with me? I'm Aboriginal. I can't opt out of that. It is who I am. It's a huge part of my identity and my world. If you're not white, it will not be news to you that dating apps run wild with racism. It was only last year that Grindr, the app for gay men, finally dropped its much maligned race filter. And OkCupid and Hinge still have them, ostensibly so that Indigenous and people of colour can seek out same. (laughs) Stats continue to show that online dating isn't a safe place for people of colour, with abuse, fetishisation, hypersexualisation and stereotype being part of what we're expected to deal with, along with just your regular rejection. It's who I am. So I don't want a person to get a shock if they're not in that world, you know, or they're not wanting to be in that world. And I I do bring it up because I don't, like I said, I don't want someone to get a shock. I do it in the chat really soon on. I'll I'll, I'll say to someone like, oh, what's your heritage? Or And I'll say, what about you? And I'll say, I'm Aboriginal and Scottish. For Carly, it's a litmus test. And majority of the time, like 99.9% of the time, you know, everyone's like, oh, wow, that's a cool mix. You know, they'll have something good to say about it, there will be that, you know, little percentage that are like, oh, really? Or, you know, like they'll have something to say. And that's pretty, that's a really good filter for me to just be able to get rid of people. I'm a mum. I'm a single mum to a four-year-old boy. Carney's 42 and has a love-hate relationship with online dating. I really want to meet somebody, but it's such an unbelievable effort to go onto those apps Carney uses a wheelchair and she used to agonise over whether or not to reveal this up front in her profile. For many years I didn't show the wheelchair in the photos and then, of course, I'd get to the date and I hadn't told them. So I'd have to get to the bar early, I'd have to get in, sit down at the table, wait and then uh, tell them at some stage which was so silly when I look back at it now at 42. It's more about I just want them to get to know me Mm. and also I'm bored of talking about it. I didn't want to answer questions about being in a wheelchair, but also I knew I'd get more attention from men on the stool than I would in my chair. But then, of course, you get to the end of the night and if you like the guy, (laughs) you've got to bring it up, right? How do you bring it up? Wanting guys to get to know her, Carney would put off the conversation about her wheelchair. I feel like if they get to know me first and there's an energy and a connection, then it's okay when I say, hey, by the way, I've got a muscle disease. But now I show it in the photos. But then the questions start straight away, right? People try and make it funny, like say a joke or... And it's just, yeah, that bores me and then I just I jump back off them because I'm bored or I'm annoyed. It's no coincidence that people make snap judgments on dating apps. That's how they're designed. Here's Lisa again. Realistically speaking, most people take one to two seconds to actually make the decision. They're just swiping, they're just swiping straight on through based on appearance. 
dating app technology certainly engenders a certain judgmental nature because it's it's completely visual. So it's a visual economy and people make decisions really quickly. But also there is a plethora of people out there as well. So, you know, if you're a little bit cutthroat with one person, it's not like there's not going to be hundreds of other people on the app. Ugh. So what can women do to protect themselves from this barrage of judgment coming at them? Kerry Sackville has some really good advice. One thing that I you know, had to really learn from experience and drum into myself, and I really do appreciate this, I think, on a very deep level now, which makes it easier for me, is that it's it's not personal. It feels very personal, but it's not because... People can't possibly know the fullness of you from an app. What do they see? They see a photo. They see a few messages. It's so superficial. You don't know whether they've just had 30 matches and they simply don't have the emotional energy to engage with somebody else. And you can't help these things. It doesn't reflect anything about you as a person. Listen, ladies, it's rough out there, but there are ways you can make it suck less. Carly has set up some firm boundaries. I say it all the time, like, stay in your emotional lane. I don't really have expectations. It depends on the person. But some people might be on there just looking for sex. Some people might be looking to date. Some people might be looking for a relationship. Whatever it is, I think you need to be clear about your intention and I'm pretty clear about my intention and what I'm looking for. And don't be afraid to be as specific as shit with what you want. You only want half mongrels, not full ones? Well, that's hard to get my head around, but you say that, you be clear. As for Hannah, she's taken a break from the dating apps for now. She's dreaming of a simpler world where people are more upfront about what they want. I just think we don't actually share our expectations with one another, like, at all. And I think that's a fatal flaw. In my dream world, I would just go on a first date with someone and hand them, like, a dossier of information and be like, this is my all my stuff and this is what my expectations are from you. And you can take it home and you can read it and if you're interested, let me know. It just would, it would make life so much easier. Can you please try the dossier <laughs> approach? I, I can help you write it if you like. Sure, I love that. Yeah, yeah love that. we'll nail this, mm. mate. <laughs> Kerry Sackville has literally written the book on online dating. And in spite of the deck of dicky dudes she's shuffled through, she's still kind of optimistic. You never know what's in front of you. You never know who you're going to swipe next. Life is really long and it's unexpected. Don't lose hope. But on the other hand, it's not so bad being single. There's lots of fabulous, gorgeous, accomplished, smart single women who just haven't found the person that they're going to spend you know, the next however many years with. And it's not a failing. It's just there's a lot of luck involved. You only need one person. Lisa Portland agrees that even if you feel lost in a forest of dick pics, you can't let the mongrels get you down. We've got to keep in mind that a lot of people do meet on dating apps and have successful relationships from uh, meetings on dating apps. And look, you're not going to get what you want, whatever that is, by putting your guitar in the fridge and playing it cool. 
you can't actually build up an intimacy with a person unless you're sharing something, you know. So you've got to be sharing something that's inwards to your person. You've got to get a little bit intimate. To find love, you have you have to put yourself out there, which is kind of like, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's such a corny thing to say, but it, it, it is absolutely true. Be bold. I mean, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that things are incredibly uncertain and that we should go for what we want. And if you want to be in a relationship, then I think, you know, this is the moment. Seize the day. Carpal tunnel. I mean, carpe diem, ladies. The rain has stopped. And emerging from the undergrowth, the single female steps out into the fresh smelling air. She sets down her phone and looks about. The forest hums with life, crackles with potential. Droplets of water land on bright green leaves. It seems like she hasn't given up yet. But for now, she is still. She is poised. She is powerful. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Turrbal, Yugambeh, Gurungara and Gadigal peoples. Ladies We Need to Talk is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betnacor. It's produced by Tamar Cranswick. Supervising producer is Alex Lolbach and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. If all this talk about dating has made you think about the state of your own relationship, if your marriage is perhaps on the rocks, or if you're in the midst of a separation or divorce, you should check out The Good Divorce from RN's Life Matters. It's hosted by Tamara Odine, who's on a mission to find out how we can divorce better. It was a surprise to me, our breakup, so I was hurt and I was hurting and I was tired and stressed and breastfeeding and all of the rest, but I made a conscious choice fairly early on that I didn't want my life to be defined by conflict, I suppose, and that I needed my parenting to be as easy as possible. I needed to be able to cope with what was happening and I needed a co-parent. You can find The Good Divorce from Life Matters on the ABC Listen app.